Dear Heavenly Father, we want to invite your spirit to flood this place, flood our hearts, open our hearts. And as we look at consecration again this morning, we pray that we'll see our need. We'll see that we need to renew that consecration every single day. And today we're here to do that this morning. So please be with us and bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by sharing a quote with you, a powerful quote from That I May Know Him, page 155. It says, The claims of Christ upon our service are new every day. However complete may have been our consecration at conversion, it will avail us nothing unless it be renewed daily. But a consecration that embraces the actual present is fresh, genuine, and acceptable to God. We have not weeks and months to lay at his feet. Tomorrow is not ours. For we have not yet received it, but today we may work for Jesus. Today we may lay our plans and purposes before him and for his inspection and approval. This is God's day. And so we want to explore more about consecration. And I know that most of us here, we've probably been Christians for many years of our lives, and we've probably consecrated our lives over and over again already. But like this, this quote says, it's new. We need a fresh consecration every single day. It's, we can't consecrate our lives and then say, okay, I'm a Christian now, and that's, that's it. It's, it's every single day we must consecrate again and again and again so that we have that fresh, genuine um, experience with God. So I'm just going to review for those of you who weren't here uh, yesterday morning. What we're doing is we're, we're looking at in the, um, the hymn, Take My Life. It's a beautiful hymn of consecration. And one of the lines that popped out at the four of us, we, we love that song. And at the end of the song, where it says, take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. And that, is, that line has just really um, been significant to us. And we, we really see in those words, ever only all, that they really sum up consecration. They describe consecration. And so we're focusing each morning on those words and exploring them deeper. Yesterday we talked about the enduring aspects of the word ever. And this morning we're going to explore how only fits into the picture of a consecrated life. You know, Christians that stand by the word only can really say in all, honestly, in all honesty, no one else and nothing else can have my allegiance, only Christ. I think of the verse in Ephesians 4, 5 that says there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One God, only one. But sometimes, sometimes we somehow think that we can take the place of God. We start to try to maybe take this, um, the throne of our own lives. And really, um, that's devastating because how can we be so foolish to think that we could take the place of an all-knowing, all-wise God? Our lives are his. And so when we try to take control of our lives, we're trying to take the place of God, really. 
Uh, and he's really the only one that is worthy of our trust and our allegiance. The question we want to ask ourselves this morning is, are our hearts completely his and only his? Because only God in us means victory, but only self-gratification means defeat. So are we choosing perfect victory or complete defeat? It's our choice. The total opposites. They cannot be combined. We cannot try to hold the hand of God and cling on to ourself at the same time. It's completely impossible. So we need to let go of ourselves. And as we uh, look at the word ever, what do you think of, I mean only, what do you think of when you think of the word only? What are some synonyms that you can think of? Solely? Mm-hmm. Entire? That's good. One of the things that I think of is actually purity. Because if you think of what defines purity, purity is something that is, there's nothing that contaminates or pollutes, it's pure. What do you, you know, when they say, okay, this is pure maple syrup, that means this is the real stuff and it's just pure maple syrup. Um, when we, when our lives are only Christ, that means it's only God. It's the real thing. Um, and there's nothing else that um, contaminates or pollutes. In James chapter 127, it says that pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep himself unspotted from the world. That's a pure religion. And that's um, really we see that it describes only, only Christ in us. Um, Christ is not only our example of purity, but he is our purity. In 1 Peter 1.19, he's described as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And in the verse right before that, uh, it says that we are redeemed with his precious blood. It's his blood that covers us and purifies us. So only means that we're purely his and not our own. It means that we are nothing because he is everything to us. And a life that is filled with God and with his spirit is pure because he is pure. And that's what he longs to see in us, his own purity in us. We're looking at the word only and consecration. And I'd like to think for a few minutes about God and the way he has committed himself to us in that way. Because like we talked yesterday, our commitment, our consecration is a response to his commitment to us. So think of the word only and God. Even the best of this world is blemished. The very best that we can see around us isn't perfect, but God is undiluted holiness and righteousness. He's thoroughly and entirely good and only good. There's no, in him there's no sin, there's no stain, no darkness or dirtiness or ugliness, none of that. He's only good. He's only light and beauty and virtue and love. And that's what he longs to fill us with. 
so that we are only those things that reflect him. And he wants to fill us with that because he wants only our good. He wants only what will make us happy and eternally happy. He wants only the best for us, what will bring spiritual growth and success. And so every purpose, every plan, every promise of God is to that end, to fill us with his attributes, only with good. So I wonder this morning, what about our purposes? We know that God seeks only our good. Do we seek only his glory? Do we seek only his honor, only his approval? That's what Jesus did. And Jesus, as our example, he lived only to please his Father and to do only his Father's will. The entire life of Christ, only to please his Father. So let's think about the weight, really, of this word, the weight of the word only. If Jesus, for one moment, had chosen to please himself or to choose his own way for even one moment, he would have failed to bring salvation within our reach. And if for one moment he had not been totally and solely and entirely only committed to his Father, we would have no hope of eternal life. So Christ, consecrating himself ever and only and all to his Father, it meant the difference between life and death for all humanity. That's, that's how big the word only is. And so when we think of the example of Christ and what we're called to this morning, to consecrate ourselves, to let him be the only God in our lives, um, I think that we, we can realize more fully from the example of Christ that if we will live only to please our Father, if we will do only his will, eternal life is ours. Because consecration to God is life to us. And aside from that, though, our loyalty is the least we can give in return for his commitment to us. Okay, so Shea talked a little bit about what God's only is to us. She also touched briefly on what ours is, but I'm going to go into a little more detail on what our only is, what our part is, in giving our lives only to God. Now, in Matthew 6.24, you can go ahead and turn there with me if you want. Matthew 6.24 is the verse that talks about two masters. So let's read that together. Okay, um, Matthew 6.24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. So that verse is telling us that we can't serve two masters, right? That seems pretty simple, right? We can't serve God and someone else. We have to choose one or the other. Now, I like to think of it like this. If you take a pin, and I don't have one up here, but if you take a pin, and what happens if, you, if two people try to write with the same pin at the same time? Does it work very well? 
You probably don't get very far, do you? <laughs> well, that's, that's the way I like to think of our lives. We can't have two people writing the story of our lives at the same time. We have to choose one. We can either choose God or we can choose someone else, but we can't have two people holding the pen writing the story at the same time. So our, our part is to choose who we're going to allow to be the master of our life. Because that is, that is the important part in all this. We, as soon as we don't choose, we really do choose. Because every, every choice we make in life affects our lives. And, and each choice is so important, even the smallest ones. And every choice we make is determining who we're allowing to be the master of our lives. So it's so important that today we, um, we think about that. And as we're choosing... We want to make sure that every choice we make is, is choosing God instead of ourselves. So to illustrate that, that point even a little further, I'm going to tell you a little story. This story, um, well, it's, yeah, you'll get the message. <laughs> so this guy, this certain man wanted to sell his house. And he... He wanted to sell it for $2,000. He thought that was about a fair price. This is, you know, like another country, so <laughs> then the figures are a little different than here. But um, So he decided to sell his house for $2,000. Now this one man came along, and he decided, oh, he really liked this house. He wanted to buy this house, but there was one problem. He couldn't afford it. So he talked to the owner, and he was like, well, I really want this house, but I can't afford it, and all this. And they went back and forth and back and forth. And finally... They bargained out a price that was satisfactory, and the, the original owner said, okay, I'll, I'll sell it to you for half of the price that I was asking. So instead of $2,000, I'll sell it to you for $1,000. Now, um, the man that wanted to purchase the house thought that was a pretty good deal, except that the owner said, you know, I'll do this, I'll sell it to you for this price, but there's just one stipulation. And that is that the owner of this house, he said, you know, since I'm, I'm dropping the price this much and I'm doing it, I'm giving it to you for half of what I wanted, I'm going to, I'll just, I'll just keep, retain ownership of, of the one small nail protruding from over the door and you can have the rest. So they agreed and, and the man purchasing the house thought, I mean, one small nail, how big? how big is one small nail? You know, if he, if he owns the nail, it's not the end of the world. You know, this will be okay. So he thought it was a good deal, so he went for it. So they, they um, made the deal, and the new man and his family moved into this house. Now, after several years, I don't know exactly how long, but after a number of years, the original owner of this house decided that he wanted to buy the house back. Now, why, I don't know. But anyway, he wanted to buy it back, but the, the guy that he had sold it to was unwilling to sell the house. Now, this is, this is where it gets kind of interesting because the man, the original owner wants to buy it back. The man who has it doesn't want to sell it. So what does he do? Well, so the first owner that wants to buy it goes out, <laughs> and he found the carcass of a dead dog. I know this is kind of gross, but <laughs> it gets the point across. He found the carcass of a dead dog, and he hung it on his one nail that belonged to him. 
Now, soon, very soon, the house became unlivable, and the family was forced to sell the house back to the owner of the nail. So what's the point of my story? Okay. <laughs> well, the point is that we can't serve two masters. We can't have two people in control of our lives. And the reality is, it's simple. If we leave the devil with even one small peg in our life, he will return every single time to hang his garbage all over the place. And that makes our lives unfit to be Christ's habitation. So that is, that is a really serious thought if you think about it. I mean, the story is kind of funny, but the thought is, is quite serious because, you know, we think about what is, I mean, one small nail. What difference is one nail going to make? But it can be a matter of life or death in our lives. If we, if we choose to allow Satan even one peg in our life, it, it can be the difference of life or death for us. And so that's why it's so important that, that we choose to be only gods and that we, that we don't leave any room for anyone else to come in. Because as soon as we do, I mean, every, every little chance we give him, Satan will be right in there. So we can't, we can't let him have that. And that's the beauty of the way that God works is he gives us that choice. We have the gift of choice. We have everything, and he gives us everything to choose what's right to choose him. So we have the gift of choice, but the reality is we can only choose one. So we still choose, but we choose one. We can't, we can't choose more than one at the same time. And so that's, that's part of consecrating our lives to God is, is simply choosing to be only his. And it's a simple thing, but sometimes we make it complicated. But it doesn't have to be. If, we, if we're willing to choose, then God will take care of the rest. So what it means to live for God is, is to forsake all of me and all that is mine, all that defines me, and let Christ come in and redefine my life. Like Tully like was saying, basically, we can't live in the middle line. We're either on one side or the other. And so we want to be on Christ's side, right? I have just a little exercise here for you guys. Hold your hand out in front of your face, a foot, 12 inches, palm side in, whatever. Now look at your hand, study your hand. What do you see? Lines, wrinkles, hand, basically, right? Okay, but when you were looking at your hand, did you see me? Why? What were you looking at? Okay, so why couldn't you look at your hand and me at the exact same time? <laughs> Try it again, yeah. Look at your hand. Okay, so now I want you to look at your hand, but just shift your focus. Look at your hand, okay, and then shift your focus and look at me. Keep your hand there. Now, now do you see your hand? You might see your hand, but it's blurry, right? Well, that's kind of the way it is with our lives and God. When we're looking at Jesus, 
self basically becomes non-existent. And it even, you know, when you were looking at me, your hand, you could still tell it was there. But when we're looking at Jesus, our self completely disappears. It's, it's completely gone. But on the other hand, if we're looking at ourself, are we, are we seeing Jesus? He's completely gone. He's, he's just a blur back there. We may know he's there, but he's not our focus. Well, that's what our only is about, focusing on Jesus. We, we don't want anything to distract from him, right? We don't want anything to dim from our view of him because when we look at him in the full light of the glory of his, of his grace, there's nothing that looks better. And see, a lot of times in this life, we get stuck on ourselves. We're, we're, we're studying our hand when, when in reality we could be studying the most beautiful thing existing, and the amazing thing about God is that the more you study him, the more there is to study. It's mind-blowing that even throughout eternity, there will always be more to study. And that's just, that's the reality of our, of our God. So we want our lives to be focused on, on him. Uh, another little illustration here. Um, I take pictures, and, and when, I, um, when I take macros, say, of, of a dragonfly or, or some fast-moving little creature, it's hard sometimes to, to follow him around, you know, like, he's going so fast, and, and it's like, right by me, and then I'm like, oh, where did you go over there, <laughs> you know? So basically, you have to chase them down, and they land, and then you creep up on them, you know, and get a little closer, a little closer, because you don't want to scare them, right? So one time I was shooting this dragonfly, and I kept getting closer and closer and closer. And just as I was getting ready to take the picture, I, I focused, and just as I pressed, pressed the shutter, guess what happened? Well, he stayed there, so you would think it turned out great. But actually, the wind came and blew some grass in front of my lens, and it wrecked the picture. Actually, that time I was in an autofocus, and so my camera was like, boom, right onto the grass. <laughs> well, that's why I don't use autofocus most of the time for macros, but um, it's a lot of times the same way with our lives. Again, we get distracted on the grass. We choose to look at the grass instead of the actual beautiful creature just, just beyond. And um, so, yeah, it was just an illustration to me of, of my life. Am I looking to Jesus or am I just getting caught on distracting stuff, you know? Um, just to finish that story out, I did actually get a decent picture after that, after I chased him around a little bit more. So we want to be totally, completely focused on Jesus. That's just, that's the basic essence of our life. And when we are looking at Jesus, then what do others see when they look at us? Because we were designed to reflect. 
And if we're looking at Jesus, we reflect, we reflect Jesus. But what if we're consumed with the world? What do we reflect? The world. Yeah, we're only mirrors. So we don't want to become distracted. And that we can only focus on Jesus by what? Continued Bible study, prayer, consecration, surrendering ourselves to him, and then just putting it into practice. So um, talking about only, what about kind of, Tilly actually mentioned this, who's in control of our lives? Well, I've got just a little bit of a spinoff off of that. What do you guys think of when you hear the word out of control? What, what's, what's an example? Okay, so, so what does it mean to be out of control? Have you guys ever used the word? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. What if, what if we stood out here, I don't know what this road o- is over here, but what if we saw some guy just driving 90 miles an hour down the road, swerving all over the place? What would your likely response be? He's out of control, out of control <laughs> right? I mean, you know, if he's just swerving and about to hit stuff, you'd say he's out of control. So in the spiritual sense, what does it mean to be out of control? Now, I'm going to take this a little different direction than you're probably thinking. Because you could think, yeah, usually the world's definition of out of control is like negative connotation, right? We don't want to be out of control people. However, the flip side of that in spirituality is we actually want to be out of control. We want to be out of control. In other words, we, can, we could rephrase out of control as being not in command, right? So if we're in command of our lives, are we in control? Well, yeah. We're trying to be, we're trying to be in control. <laughs> but what if we completely let go? What if we say, Lord, I want you to be the commander of my life. I want you to be in control. Just imagine what that looks like. That, just like the, the car that, that has the, the driver in it, it's really the driver. It's not the car. The car is just subject to the driver. So when these, like with race cars, who you pick for the driver is really what determines the race. So we want our lives to be out of control. Out of control for God. We're no longer erratic people, but we're Jesus-driven. So let's just think for a moment of all that Christ has given us. (coughs) What are you willing to give him? There's a spot in God's heart that only you can fill. There's a work that only you can do. And there's a joy that only he can give. Consecration is really Christ's gift to us and our offering to him. It's us accepting his worthiness. He's worthy. 
We're reading God's word. It's actually in, I believe, 2 Corinthians 6, where it says, Today is the day of salvation. Now's the time. This morning, we want to renew our consecration to God in a, in a deeper way than we ever have before, because if we're not climbing higher, if we're not gaining deeper, deeper relationships with God every single day, then we're a stagnant Christian, and we're not going to get to heaven. So today, we want to take that consecration to a deeper level. Let me read another quote here. Um, this is from Testimonies, Volume 2, page 48. The position you must come into is to value salvation dearer than earthly gain, to count everything but loss that you may win Christ. The consecration on your part must be entire. God will admit of no reserve, of no divided sacrifice. You can cherish no idol. You must die to self and to the world. Renew your consecration to God daily. Everlasting life is worth a lifelong, persevering, untiring effort. It's worth it, friends. So this morning, as we close, we want you to join us in laying anything at Jesus' feet that is keeping us from being filled with only him. So what we want to do um, is we want all of us to say a quiet prayer in our hearts and ask God to show us what it is in our lives that he wants to purge from our lives. What does he want to cleanse from us so that we are not contaminated and polluted with anything but him? So let's pray in our hearts, and we're going to pass out some little papers. And we want you to, whatever God lays Um, whatever he lays on your heart, just write it down on that piece of paper. And uh, let me just assure you, this is not going to be a public confession. This is between you and God. This is a, a quiet surrender and commitment to the one who has created you to be beautiful in his own image. He wants to give you a new heart, a new life today. Uh, Micah 7.19 tells us that God casts our confessed sins Where? to the depths of the sea. And so this morning, we're going to tie these little pieces of paper to, we're going to give you a rock, too, that has a string on it, and you're going to tie that piece of paper to the rock. And as a symbol of what God does with our sins, we have a glass vase up here of water, and we're going to come up together and sink those sins, those things that separate us from God, into this glass face. And then we're going to rejoice in a new, fresh beginning. Purity. Total purity. Only Christ in us. A new opportunity to look like Jesus and to valiantly hold him up as our one and only source of real strength and purity.
Praise the Lord. Heaven is rejoicing right now. Can you imagine the joy in his heart? We're giving all these things to him and saying, we want to have pure lives. We want to have lives that reflect you so clearly that others look at us and they don't even see us. They look right beyond and they see the beauty of Christ's character. Isn't that what we desire? And this is the step toward that, is giving up the things that separate us, giving up the things that contaminate our lives and um, having his purity in us. So this is really exciting. God is going to do amazing things today and through all of you. All right, let's have a prayer together if you want to kneel with us. Dear Heavenly Father, we have given ourselves to you. We've consecrated ourselves this morning again anew, and we pray that this consecration would not be temporary or fleeting, but that this would be our habit to daily renew our commitment to you. Lord, thank you for this moment that we can share in altogether giving up ourselves and inviting you to take full control of our lives. Lord, please come inside. And thank you for everyone here who has um, participated in this. Um, Just pour your blessing on our day and on our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being our example and showing us what it looks like to live only to please our Father. And we pray that today you will take our hearts and our lives, that you will guide every word and every thought so that we will follow your example and we will live only to do our Father's will. We pray that you will fill us with yourself and help us to, to reflect only you to the world today so that when they look at us, they see you and they know that you are a God worthy of our loyalty, worthy of our commitment. Heavenly Father, we just want to choose you today. We want to choose to let you be the master of our lives and to sit on the throne of each one of our hearts. We want to not only choose you right now, but we want to choose you continually throughout the day so that we don't allow anything or anyone else to come between us and you. We want to be only yours, always yours. And we just ask that you would work in each one of our hearts today and transform us, renew us into your image, into your likeness. Father, we ask that consecration would become the essence of our lives. Live in us. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to go from this weekend stronger in you and live in your strength. Be the people that you want us to be. Touch the lives that you want us to touch. And above all, place in us the right kind of picture of your greatness and help us to forget ourselves. O Lord, consume us in your work. 
Help us to be the ones that bring your kingdom sooner by reaching out to those around us. And Lord, we just ask you to be the driver of our lives. We want you to be in control. Be with us today. Send your grace on us. In Jesus' name, amen.